please. I want to in, I want to introduce Larry. He is a good friend to us. Um, we've we known love Larry. You, Larry. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've known Larry for a long time, uh, quite a few years. He's mm. he's helped Lana uh, in her ministry and also through her through her publishing as well through her books. Yeah, he's just an amazing source of wisdom when it comes to the prophetic, mm. what God's doing on this earth, and. You know how how God encounters His people. We mm. really trust and value Larry, and uh, we know that He's really going to just drop some fire on your hearts. Mm. So thank you so much for coming and giving us your time today, Larry. And uh, I was just going to say, Larry, I'm going to take your line. You always say we should never graduate from being a friend of God, and that's exactly like who you are. And um, yeah, I just want to honor you for the way that you not only know him but the way that you steward his heart and his voice in absolute purity and and you are such um a person who just really not only hears from the lord but wants to articulate the language of his heart and the language of his spirit and you do that really really well so i want to thank you because you've Amen. really impacted my life in that way so we just love you Amen. yeah you're very kind thank you no and uh, audio sync is catching up just fine, Larry. Yay. I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> I'm going to put you on screen, Larry. Feel free to uh, share a few things about yourself, and I'm just going to release you to go. We'll we'll jump on a few minutes before it's time to transition. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we love you, and uh, please be released. Have fun. Have fun. Thanks, everybody. Well, Larry Sparks here. Uh, you may remember me from such times as well. We're, 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 if you've seen me on Facebook, on, on YouTube, honestly, um, what, who, who am I? What do I do? A publisher for Destiny Image. I travel. I speak. I got my Master of Divinity from Regent University in practical theology with an emphasis in church history and renewal. Why? I love revival. I love the move of God. But it's interesting how God, even in a natural marriage, um, can give you a prophetic picture uh, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Mercedes, for 12 years now. I believe it's going to be 12 years this year. She is the vice president for Lance Walnow's ministry. And obviously, for those of you familiar with Lance, very much a reformer, Seven Mountains. My heart is revival. And in the last, goodness, five years, I've seen this real synergy of revival, which is that personal renewal of God in your life, the life of the church and Reformation, where culture and society is measurably impacted. We cannot have one without the other. Lana and Kevin, I love you guys dearly. Um, we're not just ex exchanging pleasantries. The reality is we have run together now for many years. Praise God, we've gotten to spend a good amount of time with each other, me in Australia, you guys over here in the States. Um, I'm very grateful for them. I know I speak for all of the wonderful folks watching on Facebook. We're talking about people who are friends of God and I, I use that phrase that we never graduate from being friends of God because I've seen it in people like Lana Vosser, seen it in people like Bill Johnson or Heidi Baker. You know, I, I know we get excited about these big names and there's an appropriateness. There's an appropriateness in our excitement about some of those people in terms of the impact they've had. Heidi Baker, John and Kira Arnett. Um, and, and I'm humbled, truly humbled. I don't say this to drop names. I'm humbled that we get to work with them. I've worked with these people. Uh, eight years plus, what I love about the ones, and I can tell you this for many of you who those are your heroes, the good news, they are friends of God. They are the real deal. They walk with God. 
And that's the bottom line. The reason there were, I feel the Holy Spirit now because he's inviting us into something. He's inviting us once again for our words and our prophetic words to carry weight. Um, they carry weight when we are saying what we have first heard. And you know how we hear what God says? Well, it doesn't come through taking somebody else's sermon. It doesn't come just by reading Christian books. I'm grateful for those that publish them. It comes from one who lives with their ear pressed towards the chest of Jesus. And that's a friend. That is truly a friend. You can't manufacture it. You can't manipulate it. And one of the first things I wrote down tonight, I want to talk about a realm called the Council of the Lord. I shared this in Australia in November. Uh, Lana was there, but um, oh, goodness, it, it has developed quite a bit. I give honor where it's due. I'm very grateful for people theologically, like Dr. Michael Heiser. If you haven't read any of his books, highly recommend them. The guy is legit. He knows what he's talking about. He has a book called The Unseen Realm, one called Angels, one called Demons. Excellent material. Grateful for Robert Henderson, who's talked about the three dimensions of prayer, father, friend, and judge. And one of those dimensions is the counsel of the Lord. So listen, when I use other language, I never want to be like, oh, Larry Sparks came up with all this himself. Well, obviously, it's from the Bible. But I'm grateful for people who have pioneered in these areas. And all I want to do is bring my piece to the puzzle. And my heart is to bring a context, the counsel of the Lord and the prophetic. Um, that's what I want to talk about this evening. Because guess what? Oh, this, this, this is one of those things where when you say it at first, it shocks, but it's meant to shock. The counsel of the Lord, there's an invitation to whosoever, okay? There's an invitation to whosoever to enter this realm. But the reality is it's a very, very exclusive place in the spirit. You know why? Whosoever is invited, but only the friends of God are the ones who actually stand in this place. You can't come into the council. You can't be entrusted with council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, information, intel. You can't be trusted with that if you are wanting to be a professional prophet or a celebrity preacher or somebody who's just out there. I mean, we live right now in a day of push, I call it push button prophecy, where anybody who has any kind of platform on the internet, Facebook and YouTube, and by the way, I'm all in favor of these things. I believe, I believe people like Lana have stewarded them beautifully and purely. I know that because I work with her. I see other people, Anna Werner, our dear friend Anna, Great, great prophet seer. Um, I'm very grateful for those who are using it for purity. But now anybody can become a push button prophet. And listen, I've had my own issues. I'll, I'll just kind of, I'm going to point a finger. I'm going to point a finger at myself. I've had my own issues where I have shared things on social media, whether it's a video or writing something. I shared it and I had a check in my spirit. I'm just going to go here and then I'll do what I can to kind of put this in some sort of context. I'm a teacher, but the problem is I, all, I, I also operate prophetically. So I interrupt myself, but God is so faithful to just make it all make sense. Okay. I've had issues. <laughs> I've had issues. I've had issues where Holy Spirit will say something to me. I know it's Him. I'll give you an example. Beginning of the year, we put this book together. Um, prophetic words for 2020. The Lord gave me a word about 10 ways the devil is trying to turn Christianity upside down. That's a hard word, okay? Uh, and I'm like, God, are you sure? But, but 
yes, I, I, I'm quite sure that he wanted me to share it. Well, he was sharing that with me. But here's the reality. He was sharing it with me because ultimately he wanted me to share it. But he did not want me to share it immediately. Does that make sense? In other words, he was talking to me about something, as friends do. But it was not time for me to release that word. Here's what the Lord told me. Because these 10 areas, and, and I have at least five of them written in the book that we did. But these 10 areas, um, they're pretty strong, heavy issues or situations. And what the Lord told me was this. He said, Larry, you are not allowed or authorized to share this word until you actually seek me for prophetic solutions, redemptive solutions to every one of these issues. Otherwise, Larry, you're going to just sound like some sort of cranky, cantankerous person who's beaten up the church. I remember John Bevere, uh, after a service, I guess a young guy came up to John, heard John share one of these passionate fiery, powerful words, probably like, you know, one about the fear of the Lord carries very weighty words. And the young guy said to John Bevere, John, man, I want to be like you. I want to share these hard hitting words. These, it was almost like the guy was enamored by the fact that John carried these words that were very heavy, very weighty. I think of people like A.W. Tozer, Leonard Ravenhill. And John kind of felt a, uh, a grief over it because it's one of those things where the reality is this, is that you are not qualified or authorized to share words like that until your heart breaks for those that you're sharing them with. And furthermore, the reality is this, you've got to do this. You've got to seek God for a redemptive solution. Can I offer that to you? Redemptive solution. Man, I feel like the Holy Ghost is just highlighting that right now. Um, listen, prophetic words are not sunshine and lollipops. We've kind of had a... Uh, a misguided understanding and trying to correct things in the prophetic because listen, the prophetic is not two things. It's not a prophet showing up at your church and calling out everybody's sin and making everyone feel like dirt. That's not the prophetic. Simultaneously, the prophetic is not us going around all the time telling people how awesome they are. Come on now. You know what the prophetic is? The prophetic warns, it confronts, it consoles, it builds up, it tears down. It, it does all of those things, but I believe it always carries that redemptive heart of God. Even in a hard word, you should hear the heart of the Father. Ooh, I'm having a Holy Ghost time right now. <laughs> Isn't that true? Even in a hard word, we should hear the heart of the Father. It's not just content, it's content and tone. So that's what happened when I, you know, and I've had times where sadly I've gotten words. I knew, they from the, I knew they were from the Lord. And here's my issues. I shared them prematurely and it just feels yucky. And you know what it does? One of the signs that you share a word prematurely is people, it causes strife and contention. Everybody gets riled up. Why? One of the signs that you're sharing a prophetic word, not the only sign, but one of them is that you're sharing something prematurely is that there's no solution that there's no redemptive solution in it, particularly for a hard word of warning or confrontation. And again, I repeat, we need those words. I'm grateful for the prophets who carry them. I mean, I think of people like Mario Murillo, and Emma Stark. I even look back at people like David Wilkerson. I know some of those words were hard, but I know they came from hearts that are right or were right with God. And I know that they carried solutions. So anyway, 
one of the things that we never graduate from is being a friend of God. Why? Because God entrusts his counsel and his words and intel and information with friends. Because friends know when the right time is to share that information. Anyway, very quickly, because this is a brief teaching. I mean, but again, we, we love the prophetic, so we want to go where God is. I wrote this down. In terms of the counsel of the Lord, you know what? Before we are prophets or prophetic people, you're actually three things, okay? You're three things before you get to number four. In other words, some people are like, I'm prophet so-and-so, or even for every believer, we are all prophetic because we all have access to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's like, oh man, I hear God's voice and we place such a wonderful emphasis on that. However, did you know you're three things before you're a prophet or a prophetic person? Number one, you're a son or daughter of God. You're a son or daughter. First and foremost, you've been born again. You've been adopted into the family. You're a son or daughter of God. That's your first identity. Folks, your first identity is not a prophet or a prophetic person or an evangelist, or an apostle, or a teacher. Your first identity is not that. It's not a function. Your first identity in God is a son or daughter. That's good. Number two, though, okay, after you're a son or a daughter, number two, do you know what you are? You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. These are the people I believe God entrusts with information. Remember, I said the counsel of the Lord, it's open to whosoever. But the ones who enter into this very exclusive dimension of the spirit where we receive intel and information from God are the ones, ironically, who come in there not to get something from God, but to simply be with God, to be present with God. I was listening to Andrew Walmack teaching a series called A Better Way to Pray. Excellent book. Excellent series. I love Andrew. Really challenges me because he talks about how the majority of his prayer life, and I believe it. Because the guy never, yeah. You know, have you ever watched Andrew Womack? I don't think that guy's worried about anything. I praise the Lord. And I believe it. But you know what? Very telling. The majority of his prayer life is not asking God for stuff or trying to get God to do stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's adoration. It's worship. It's enjoying. Wow, the presence of a friend. It isn't it true. You can just look at some people and know that they're friends of God, that they walk with God. Bill Johnson. I'm like, man, that guy just walks with God. A lot of us here. But it's true. It's not that these are, folks, these are not superheroes. They're not spiritual superheroes. Um, they're people who make a decision. I'm, I, I feel the Holy Spirit say, will you just make that decision? Will you make a decision? I will be a friend of God. I know we had that song probably back in the late 90s, I'm a friend of God. But the reality is this, is he is looking for those who above all will prize that communion and relationship with him. Where at the end of the day, it's not about me coming into his presence to get something. It's about him being the reward. It's about I come into his presence to be present with God. And that is my great reward. My great reward is not something that I get. My great reward is someone that I get to be present with. And man, it, it's just beautiful. <laughs> Your speaking style reminds me of Lance Wall now. Rebecca, I have spent some good time with Lance, so there's a high likelihood he might rub off on me. <laughs> and you know what? I take that as a I take that as a compliment, really. Um, so we are friends of God. But you know what? I said that's two. Number one, sons and daughters of God. Number two, you're friends of God. Okay. But number three, there's still a step. There's still another position before we become prophets and prophetic people. 
And this is where everything shifts and takes place. This is where we get authorization to share words or to be silent. This is where we are told how to de deliver a word, when to, de uh, to deliver a word, um, what phraseology, what language to use, all that, this. So number one, let me just review. Number one, we're sons and daughters of God. Number two, we're friends of God. You know what number three we are? And I'm sorry, this is all of us. This is not just for a small group in the church that meets once a week in a back room. Number three is we are intercessors. And I know I immediately say that word. People are like, oh, I'm not an intercessor. Believe me. I remember getting a prophetic word one time from Corey Russell about being an intercessor. I'm like, have you got the right person for this? Like, I'm, I am not that. Like, that is not my role. But here's the reality. We are all intercessors, okay? Because here's what friends of God do. Before we release words, we actually take what we believe God has given us and we bring it back to God and we discern and we decipher what he is saying. And as an intercessor, when I step into that role and function as an intercessor, I come before the Lord and I ask him, God, what is your tone on this? How do you want me to say this? Is this for the public or is this just for me? Is this just you building history with me in our own relationship? Or is this for me to share with other people? We cannot, we do not graduate from being intercessors. And again, it is not a prayer ministry that is exclusive to some back room group of people. We all function and operate as intercessors, as people who, as friends of God, remember, as friends of God, he shares and reveals intel and information with us, and that's wonderful, and he entrusts us. But he is looking for us to bring that information back to him and say, God, how do I share this? How do I communicate it? God, we pray through it. God, you want me to sit on this? Do you want me to seek you for some solutions about this? Does that make sense? It is one of those things where I don't want to just jump into profit. You know, I heard God and he says this and he says that. That's where you get push button profits. That's where you get professional profits. Listen, we don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. None of the folks on these videos, none of the people that I, I, I work with, we, we don't want to be that. We simply want to steward what God is saying. And if God tells me, release this, I want to release it. If God tells me to shut up, and I'm not saying he's going to say it quite like that. Uh, but if he tells me to be quiet about this right now until you get a greater clarity or a full, more full picture, I want to be quiet. I want to be obedient. And I learned the right time and the right way to say something or release a word in that place of intercession. I, I, you know what? I was going to share. Well, I'll just read this quickly because Jeremiah 23, and I highly recommend you guys do a little bit of a study on Jeremiah 23. I just might write this. I might just read this. I'm not going to comment too much, but it talks about this place called the Council of the Lord. I will start in verse 15. Okay, Jeremiah 23, verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. So prophets, prophetic people, even though this is an Old Testament, Old Covenant passage, it is worth us listening to and heeding. Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poison water to drink concerning the prophets. Because at the time, there were prophets who were prophesying, but they were saying things that God didn't say. Okay, They were prophesying to pander to the people. They were prophesying their own imagination. They were calling words prophetic words when in fact God had not told them. They were not prophetic words. They were pathetic words. I know that's a lame joke, but here we go. Um, but I, I, I mean, I read this today, and it could be easy. 
to get really serious and hard with these passages. And they are pretty serious. I, I certainly don't want to devalue that. I love it though. The last phrase here in verse 15, where it says, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Can I prophesy this though? Guess what? The opposite is true. Huh. Guess what? Just like in that context, ungodliness went out into the land because the prophets were not saying what God was saying. Can I just prophesy right here? I feel the fire of God on this, that as prophets do release the word of the Lord, as people, not just prophets, I feel like the Lord is saying, no, 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 Larry, don't just say it for the prophets. All of my believers, all, all, all of the believers, <laughs> that's all of us, are prophetic. You all hear the voice of God. When you hear and you say what he wants you to say, when he, when he wants you to say it, guess what? In the same way, False prophecy, incorrect or impure prophecy can pollute a land. Guess what? Pure prophecy, when you and I, our mouths are gates for the word and the voice of the Lord, I actually believe it can release godliness into the land and revoke godlessness. Because right now there is a famine. People want to hear. They need to hear. They, they may not want to. They need to hear the word of the Lord. Going on to verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. Basically, they're saying whatever they perceive. They, they are saying what they think the people want to hear. Okay. At the end of the day, bottom line, we say what God wants to say. Bottom line, rule number one in the prophetic, God speaks first, <laughs> and I speak next. God speaks first, and I say what he says when he wants me to say it. Verse 18, Jeremiah 23, for who among them, talking about who among these kind of false prophets has stood in the counsel of the Lord? I love this, to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? I want to end this time and I want to pray. If that's right, I've got five minutes, I think. I reckon, as my fine Australian friends would say, I want to just pray because I feel Holy Spirit on this. Because you know what I feel like the cry is? I feel like the cry is, um, it, it asks that question, who has paid attention to his word and listened? I feel like the cry is, Lord, we'll, we'll pay attention. We'll listen. Well, we don't have it all right. We're, we're not perfect people, but God, we, we're your friends. We're sons and daughters. We're your friends. We want to be faithful to say, God, what you are saying. Who has paid attention to his word and listened? So, Father, right now, I thank you. Lord, right now, all of us say, we, we, we sign up again. We will pay attention, God, to what you're saying. Lord, I, you know what? I'm going to do it. I repent. I repent for saying things in a way um, where I know I was trying to impress people. We've all been there. God, forgive me. Forgive me, expose that in me. Listen, guys, God wants to expose stuff not to destroy you, but to heal you. Yeah. He wants to expose things to purify you, not to harm you. Father, expose those ways in me. May we walk in fear and trembling when it comes to the prophetic, but may we just lift up a hand tonight. I mean, even in the comments, you can say, God, I will pay attention. I will hear your word. Above all, I will be a friend. Just a, just a moment more, because I do feel like the Lord is saying, I, I just, I really sense a beautiful fear of the Lord on this. He's almost saying, God, who, my, my friends fear me. The secret of the Lord, 
book of Psalms, it talks about the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And I heard N.T. Wright say it this way, because I know there's been a lot of talk about the fear of the Lord recently. And sometimes we feel like oh, I got to apologize for it. We, we start talking about the fear of the Lord. It's like, well, oh, but, you know, but don't, God's, don't, he's not scary. And, that, and no, he's not scary. Um, but, you know, I love what N.T. Wright did for one of his uh, questions and answers with N.T. Wright. Somebody called him and asked, what do you think about the fear of the Lord? He said, imagine this. Imagine going to the Louvre Museum. Imagine going to a building where you go, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit on this. Thank you, N.T. Wright. <laughs> you go to a building that is adorned with beautiful art, with, with things that are meant to captivate your senses, where you walk. I'm sure for those of you who have been in art galleries like this, you walk very carefully. You speak very softly. Why? You enter into an environment that completely captivates your senses. You love being there. You enjoy every moment. You're taking in all of the art, all of the imagery. And yet, there's this circumspectness that we walk in. We walk carefully. We tread softly. Why? Because we recognize the gravity of that environment. We recognize how precious it is. So I want to encourage you. I believe the Lord is actually summoning all of us into that realm called the Council of the Lord. And I, I believe tonight we say, God, we'll, we, will, we will sign up. We will go on in there. And I know one of the scriptures all of us have been on for a while, Psalm 24. But uh, Psalm 24, 3 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? I believe that's a dimension of the Spirit. This is, this is not greeting card language. That's a real place in the Spirit. Who will stand in his holy place? The blood of Jesus has bought you access to that holy place, according to Hebrews 10, 19. Who will stand in that holy place? I believe it's in that holy place where we receive, inform we receive information, intel, and above all, just revelation of the knowledge of God. Who will stand in that holy place? He who has clean, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. God is looking for pure people. Not look, interestingly enough, He's not looking for perfect people. <laughs> I pray. I praise God. He's looking. For, he's looking for pure people. And you know what? Here's my solution to you. Romans 12. One. I wish I could give you three keys or seven steps. I don't have that. I have one thing. Romans 12.1. We offer up our lives. We mm -hmm. offer up our lives as living sacrifices. And the Lord says even right now. For those of you even struggling with sin and addiction and bondage, offer them up to the Lord. He's not there in condemnation waiting to whack you. He's saying, listen, you've carried it. I feel like the Lord is saying this very specifically to somebody. You've carried it too long. I am not here to smite you. I'm actually here to release my purifying fire on you. But you've got to, you've got to open up your hands and you've got to offer those things up to me. And I do believe when we do, he is so faithful. Every time historically a sacrifice is offered to the Lord, he releases fire on that. So mm -hmm. anyhow, blessing to you all. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening. We went on a little bit of an adventure, but I do believe the Lord has he's extended an invitation to all of us to be his friends and to stand in that holy place called the council of the Lord. So thank you. Larry, that is amazing. Honestly, like this is such a needed conversation. I know you and I have talked a little bit about things like this in the past, but I just, yeah, I want to thank you because not only did you put release revelation that God is speaking right now, 
but you gave language to it of what it looks like practically. And I think that's really important, especially around stewarding prophetic revelation, you know, and stewarding the heart of God. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to be some big prophet or whatever, like I'm here as a friend of God and from that place, like I overflow. And what a glorious invitation, right, to be invited into um, walking in the wisdom of God and the counsel of God, like, you know, I say it all the time, like let us never become familiar with that place. Um, yeah. So, so I just, yeah. I, I loved what you had to share. Thank you so, so much. Mm. Uh, so many so people powerful. were blessed. I was watching the comments and people were like, this is so good. Thank you so much, Larry. So um, we echo that too. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for blessing us with your time too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can see in your eyes that it's getting late there. And <laughs> that or the I, I to try to make myself look somewhat decent, although I don't think that works. I have this big blaring light going right into me, so but thank you so much. We we, we are so blessed that you would um just Absolutely. come and give us this. Thank you. Hey, how can people get in touch with you, Larry? The best place is just on my Facebook page. It's Larry Sparks Ministries, just Facebook, Larry Sparks Ministries, and that's where I share my articles, videos, all, all of that good stuff. So, okay, yeah. so we're just going to stick that on the... Uh... We're learning StreamYard, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I got to try to figure that out together in a previous broadcast. So, yeah. <laughs> I like it. works well. It does. It does yeah. yeah, we really like it. Hmm. So. That's a good tool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. We love you. Send our love to Mercedes. I really love you guys and grateful for you. Very, very grateful. Same here. Thank you. We're grateful for you. Well, we're going to introduce uh, another one of our old friends. Oh, yeah. Sorry. sorry. No, I was just saying we bring Matt on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, just uh, just I'll give you a few seconds head start. Unlike what I did with Larry, he was still organising his T-shirt when it was <laughs> when it was live on stream. It's better than picking your nose. That's it? right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's been done. I'm sure I've done it. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Matt. You, this man carries an amazing revelation of God's love, mm. His genuineness, His purity. Yeah. He manifests that in his own life each day. He's just a wonderful source of wisdom for us. He yeah. runs a prophetic ministry. He runs a prayer ministry. He runs a church. Yeah. He's a man of, man of many hats and just has an amazing pool of knowledge and revelation that uh, we, we're so happy to draw from. And we're, we're sure that you'll be uh, blessed by it too. So... Matt, would you like to share a few things about yourself and can we release the next no, next half an hour or so to you? Mm. Thanks, Kev. Um, oh, no, 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 go. <laughs> kind of takes my breath away, you guys, talking um, that way about me. Um, yeah, just thank you for just, again, trusting me in this environment. Uh, thank you for your friendship uh, and your, just your love over yep, a lot of years. And just looking forward to seeing what the Father does today in and through what you guys have birthed mm -hmm. and what you guys have birthed. Um, and, Lana, you and I have spoken about this many times. You carry the purity of God in such a tangible and powerful way. And I'm sure that every single person who's watching cannot wait to hear that uh, you unleash that concept of purity upon us um, because, again, you just you leak what you carry. 
and purity is something that you uh, do so powerfully. But anyway, just for myself, uh, yeah, so as Kev has said, I, I, I am a pastor of a, a local Baptist church in Sydney, Australia called Haberfield Baptist, and I'm sure Kev will put those details up at the end. Uh, and so that's that's what I do, but I do run a prophetic ministry uh, as well, and I'm just I'm so passionate about people hearing the voice of the Father. I believe every single one of us can, uh, and I think for so long uh, we've wondered if we can. And just to be able to lead people into place of yes, you can, is utterly powerful and life transforming. And so it's kind of what I do. I'm married, I'm a beautiful wife Trish. Uh, we've been married for thirty years. We've got three adult children, and um, yeah, and they're all just brilliant parts of our lives in so many different and unique ways. Uh, yeah, but that's that's kind of who I am. It's kind of what I do. But today I want to talk a little bit about uh, the purity of God. And I love that we can sit here and talk through different perspectives. I often have the analogy that that the, the kingdom of God is like a feast table. And so often we pull up the same chair every single time and we get the same revelation each time. Moments like these that Kevin Lana invite us into are pulling up at another seat at the table and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good through through another angle, another lens, another understanding, another story. And so for each of us who are speaking, it's such a, a beautiful thing to listen to other people share the revelation that the Father has on their heart. And uh, and so hopefully t today that will be uh, similar to, to what I share. Um, so let me just jump straight in and uh, let's just see where the Father takes us. So one of the things I love to do is when I'm listening to other people speak or I'm watching comments that are flowing on Facebook is I love just landing on just different lines. And so I just want to read to you some of the heart of what I've heard in the last couple of hours here on, on this feed. And so Natalie spoke about removing the dross. Gary spoke about everyone brings something of value. Anthony said, I am the voice. Uh, Larry said, God entrusts his counsel to his friends. And so if I put that together, there's a phrase of purity looks like removing the dross. Everyone brings something of value. I am the voice and God trusts his counsel to his friends. To me, that's just powerful and revelation just in itself in four sentences. But then I was listening to a few of you guys. And there's a person here, I can't pronounce your name very well, but I think it's Ariana Brown. She says questions lead, leads us to the truth of purity. And that is such a profound phrase for me. Um, because I think you only get answers if you ask questions and I, I want to be part of a kingdom expression where questions are welcomed. If I stop asking questions, it means I stop learning and I always want to be a student of the king and I want to learn, I want to grow and I want to know. So, Ariana, uh, questions lead us to truth of purity. Then with Sarah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Purity is a perfect gift. We've got to walk in all he has paid for. Then, Natalie, uh, you said we are his voice. We become like uh, who we spend time with. And again, when you listen to that, all of a sudden you have this beautiful concept of, of the, the understanding of purity that you guys are already walking in. You guys are already pouring out. You see, I think purity is our divine design. I think that's how we're created to be. Uh, right back in Genesis 1 and 2, when we are created in the very image of Christ, uh, I just think that's such a profound moment for us to understand what the Father has created us into. Adam and Eve created into the Garden of Eden. Uh, it wasn't there based on their behaviour. That was there based on who God created them to be. We understand that their behaviour complicated the matter somewhat, and it does in our own lives as well. But our divine design is to be very much in that place of creation with the king. 
where we have been created pure. Now, we know Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree and we know that they got kicked out of the garden and then started a, a God story that was thousands of years in the making. But Jesus did something utterly profound uh, when he came to earth and so profound it changed everything. It, it just it, it leveled everything. Uh, and, and so when Jesus was crucified on a cross, uh, the Bible speaks about how the temple um, curtain was torn in two and allowed us into a place called the Holy of Holies. Uh, you could only go in there if you're pure. And all of a sudden you have this understanding of the magnitude of what Christ did on a cross outside the gates of Jerusalem, but inside of Jerusalem in the very Holy of Holies, we have this incredible moment of invitation and we come in pure, we come in whole. And so I believe so much of that invitation has led us back to the Garden of Eden to be in a place of purity of our design and to live in that place of purity of our design. Uh, and so again, Romans 8 says, nothing separates us from the Father's love. Nothing separates us from the Father's love. Uh, the Apostle Paul, even in the writer of Hebrews, they both speak about how, how Christ's sacrifice sprinkled our consciences and, and we were washed clean with pure water. And again, if you look at it in Hebrews, it talks about it as uh, its past tense. It has happened. This has happened. It's not to the future that it will happen, but it has happened. You have been washed clean. You, you are. You are pure. It is a gift. Uh, it is a gift. It is a perfect gift. That's just what Sarah has, has said to us. It is a, a perfect gift. See, I believe purity is is our very, it's our inheritance, if I can say it that way. And if that bends your brain a little bit too much, and if that's just a really odd thought, and you go, but hang on a second, I'm a sinner, and how can I be pure and a sinner? And I think that's an awesome question. And I want to answer that question for you. I want that question to come to a conclusion for you because if you're sitting here today going, I'm such a sinner and I don't feel clean and I don't feel pure and I, I just can't get this concept of purity and I've worked hard. Man, I grew up in the 80s uh, where you had to get up at 5 a.m. to do uh, your quiet time to, to prove to the church you're actually in that, that you were kind of holy. And I found it as getting up at five o'clock in the morning, man, that just made me tired for the day. And I was kind of irritated through the day. And I just felt like, man, I'm just not doing this right. I can't do this right. Why am I not doing this right? And the father's just like, dude, take a break. Have a rest. Take a moment just to be in the stillness of, of the kingdom of God. Understand who you are. Understand the person that I've created. Now, if you've been listening to my story with Lana, you'll know that so often I talk about my story. It's not as if I've been high-fiving my wife for 30 years and I've been doing these great things in the kingdom of God. 12 years ago, my life went utterly astray into a place where it broke down. And in that place, the voice of the Lord, that still small voice, that, that, that cave-like experience that Elijah had, that still small voice called me out of the darkness to hear, to listen, to know, to understand. And when he spoke to me, he did not speak of failure. He spoke of love. He spoke of my identity. He spoke of who I am. I remember all those years ago uh, when I was, my life was so bad, I remember praying to God saying, God, just judge me. Just, just judge me. And I felt like that was the right prayer to pray. And, and I remember sitting with one of my closest friends at the time and I was saying, God, just judge me. And he goes, Matt, God has judged you. 
and he's judged you to be a son. I can't tell you what that phrase did for me. I can't tell you how powerful that phrase was for me because all of a sudden I realised something of the Father's design, something of the power of Christ, something of what happened at the cross. It didn't excuse my behaviour. It didn't wash it away as if it didn't happen. But what it did was spoke to my identity. It spoke to the person that God had created and it drew me into that place of understanding who I am. You see, I have a strong belief that when we love, fear gets driven away. That's not just a biblical principle. That is a uh, experience and encounter of my own life. Uh, it, when you love somebody, fear cannot remain. Fear cannot remain. And when two people love each other, it's like fear is off limits. And, and what you have when two people love each other is, is a place of purity. Uh, what you have when two people are, are loving on each other healthily and well is a place where you can share um, failure, where you can share hurt, where you can share pain, and you know that the opinion of that person will not change because it's very pure. It's a, it's a place uh, of such strength and such courage, but it's so beautiful. And, and you know how the Bible says that, that Jesus chose to love us first? Uh, that to me says he chose to come and drive the fear away first. Invite me into the purity that he has created. And he backs that up so often in scripture. Invitation to a great feast. It's just such a, a powerful metaphor for us to understand. And again, if there's one metaphor that I can leave you with or get you to engage your imagination with is that the feast table of the king. Allow yourself to see it. Allow yourself to know it. Allow yourself to understand it. And if you can imagine a feast table where Jesus is sitting there, uh, I can guarantee you that fear is not a part of the conversation that you're having at that point in time. Why? Because there's a purity, because there's a love. There is no place for fear at that table. You know what David said in Psalm 23? I'm going to feast in full view of my enemy. I'm not feasting with my enemy. I'm feasting in full view. So fear, you can stand over there, but I'm now one with Jesus. I'm not moving from this place. Why? Because he has given to me something that I could not earn. He has given to me purity. He has given to me courage. He's given to me strength to stay in that place. Uh, any relationship that you're in that you just love and they just love you back, the last thing you want to do is go missing in action. The last thing you want to do is go running away. Why? Because you feel safe in that moment because the love is pure. If you look through the Old Testament, the grief of God's heart was when Israel mixed their belief with another, another God's belief, and it became impure. He wanted them for himself. He wanted them to know the power of who he is. And when they walked in that place, you hear uh, in the book of Kings, a, a king did what was good in the eyes of the Lord or a king did what was evil. And it's, again, the, the difference is that the king who did what it was good was in relationship with the one who made the, the ground safe. And in that pure place, he could live from that place of identity and authority. There's a story uh, that I love going back to where Jesus demonstrates this so powerfully. And if, again, if you can understand this one small concept of purity, and again, I know we've all got little bits of time to be able to share this with you, and I can just trust that this might be a story that is really helpful for you to understand your identity. Uh, in in um, Luke chapter 7, we have that very uh, often talked about woman, the woman with the alabaster jar. And Jesus has been invited to Simon the Pharisee's home and uh, for dinner. And he's in there for dinner. And, and this woman comes in and, and she kneels behind Jesus at his feet. 
And it just makes me so emotional even thinking about the story because it's so powerful. So powerful what the Father does, what Jesus does in this moment. He lets it happen. But inside the room, there is a mix that's going on that is not healthy. Inside the room, Simon's got thoughts going on in his brain going, if this guy knew who that woman was, she is such a sinner. Now, hold on to that phrase because, again, so often in church environments, and even when I was raised, I grew to believe that I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and it became ingrained in me so much so that even when I became a Christian and came under the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, I kept on using that phrase of I'm a sinner, but Jesus does not call her sinner. In fact, if I can land this on you, there is no believer inside of the Gospels that Jesus uses that phrase over. He does not call you a sinner. He calls you by your name and he calls you by your identity. He calls you by your design. He calls you by your relationship. He calls you by the love that flows from him. But the last thing that was coming out of Jesus' that mouth that day was calling her a sinner. So Jesus then rolls out this incredible uh, uh, parable about forgiveness. And he says to Simon, um, there's, there's two people. One's got a very large debt and one's got a small debt. Uh, but the master decides to forgive both, both debts. And he says, who, who has been shown the most love? And Simon's like, oh, that's a, that's a no-brainer, Jesus. Like, I've got that one. That's uh, the one with a larger debt. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's a cool answer. Uh, now, now think about this, Simon, this woman here. Uh, when she came in, like, you didn't wash my feet, not even with water. And she's doing it with tears. Just take a moment to think about that action. So powerful. Uh, you didn't anoint me with oil. But again, the tears, Simon, the perfume, Simon. Think about it. And, and he, he even makes the comment to say, yeah, she's, she's got lots of sins, but right now she's showing a lot of love. And she's showing a lot of love because she's been forgiven. So here's the place of purity in this story. This woman was walking in to a viper's nest. But inside the viper's nest of condemnation and accusation and guilt and shame, there was one, there was one voice that was doing something so profound that it made her feel safe. There was one voice that was so powerful that had her walk past condemnation, shame, guilt, uncleanliness, poor past behaviour, past mistakes, and into a moment with the one who carried the purity and the love of the Father in heaven. And she knelt at his feet. She knelt at his feet. In that, in that space, in that, that moment, uh, Jesus acknowledges something. Like he says, this woman uh, knows how to love. And so as this woman is loving Jesus, She's carrying the very thing that Jesus is. He is love. And as she loves on Jesus, fear has been driven away. So when fear gets driven away, condemnation does not have a voice. Shame does not have a voice. Guilt does not have a voice. This woman carried what Jesus carried. You leak what you carry is a phrase I love to use. And it's whatever the Father has placed in you. It's bigger than you. And so it's, it's like you're leaking what you carry. 
And this woman was leaking what she carried. She was leaking love, and Jesus recognized that, and he spoke to her. He said, you are being forgiven. He then spoke to her about her faith has saved her, or her faith, her, her belief in what has just happened with Christ, her belief in who Christ is, her belief in what Christ does. Your faith has saved you. Now, the word saved in, in the Greek means to be delivered, to be set free. Your faith has set you free. And then the last phrase, now go in peace. Now, who on this feed would love to hear Jesus say, go in peace? Well, let me just say that again. Go in peace. Jesus gave the apostles and the disciples the authority to speak peace over people's homes, and it was done. You speak peace over a home, uh, there is safety there, there's purity there, there's love there. So today, speak it over your home. Speak it. In Luke 10, 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, uh, "What I am as you speak, so I am speaking. I think that's the NIV translation inside of that. Uh, but again, can we believe that as disciples of Christ, that we, like Larry is saying, we carry his words. We, we carry those words within us. Go in peace. Now, that's not a controversial word. That's actually an atmosphere-changing word. Go in peace. As I carry the Spirit of God, so I speak. As you carry the Spirit of God, so you speak. And when I speak it, it comes through a lens of what I have come through and gone into. When you speak it, it comes from a lens of what you've gone through and what you've come into. And when we speak it together, all of a sudden the power of his voice is amplified. If hundreds of people are speaking this together all over the planet right now, and then his voice is amplified. And as his voice is amplified, the Bible talks about that being magnified. Our, our praise magnifies him. And as we speak, so we praise him. And, and as we speak today, we are changing the very atmosphere of the lives that surround us right now. You're changing the atmosphere of people on this chat bar. So if you're, you're reading some of the chat on this and, and there's people here that are going through such a difficult time right now, take a moment. Just take a moment to prophesy over them. Go in peace. And speak it not like a phrase that just falls on the ground. Speak it as knowing that you carry the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit within you. And as you speak it, so it will be. It all comes from this place of understanding our design, of who we are created to be, to be transformed into the very image of Christ, just like Larry was saying in Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's this whole conversation that flows around this. This is our design. Our design is to live in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Our design is to live in that place where nothing separates us from the Father's love. Our design is to understand and appreciate and to take hold of all that Jesus, all that Jesus has done and accomplished for us. This wasn't just an act in time 2,000 years ago. This was a, a time for us to receive right now. So as I sort of come to an end on this, this conversation of purity, uh, again, let me just take you back to the start of Matthew and when Jesus is talking the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the pure of heart. Uh, the Greek word there is, is clean, clean. Um, Jesus in the gospel, it's only recorded once that he actually says that word, that word clean. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are those who have got clean hearts. So how do we get a clean heart? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked me that because there is only one who can do this. 
I can't do it. I, I, I can't. Uh, I can't do that myself, but I know one who can. And it's the one who came, can who came to the apostle Peter at uh, that time. Remember when Peter had that dream on top of, of Cornelius's home? And, and it's that concept inside of it where uh, Jesus lowers down a sheep with all this food that Peter can't eat. And Peter's like, no, no, I, time out. I can't do that. I just can't do that. And Jesus comes out with this cracking phrase where he says, do not declare anything unclean that I have declared clean. The writer of Hebrews declares that you are clean. In Christ, you are clean. He has done everything that is necessary for you to live in that place of purity. Uh, Jesus would talk about the things that come out of your mouth or evidence of what's actually going on in your heart. And often when I say that, people go, oh, I said that bad, I said this bad. But let's talk about the faith that's coming out of your life. Let's talk about the love that's flowing from, from your heart. And all of a sudden, you'll start seeing what it looks like to be pure of heart. And here's the promise. Jesus says, you will see God. That should just blow most people's brains into the, the first century Jew. I wonder what that did because they felt that if I, if they saw God, they would die. Jesus goes, pure heart, you're actually seeing the Father. And Jesus says, I do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. And so today I want to give to you just I want to pray for you. Um, if, I'm, is that, if that's okay to do that, Kevin and Lana, at this point in time, I, I want to pray for you uh, for that place of activation to be inside of your heart and your mind where you will know that nothing separates you from the Father's love. No sin, no shame, no past mistake. No demon, not even an angel is what Romans 8 says, separates you from the Father's love. No curtain, no veil, you are there. You are there, seen and known by the Father. And has he judged you? Yep. He's judged you a son or a daughter. That's so mind-blowing for me. So let's just pray together as we finish. I think I've got four minutes four minutes to do an activation. Let's see how God takes this. So again, I want you to use your imagination. This is something that you can do just by closing your eyes and seeing the feast table of the king. If this is new to you, if, if you've never done this, just put in your mind the most, um, uh, the, the dining table that if you walked into a shop, that's the one you'd buy. Uh, money is no issue in a conversation with the kingdom. So walk into a, a showroom of something and just go, Father, what does the feast table look like? Let your imagination paint a picture. In the feast table of the king, the king is present and the king is there. He has not gone missing in action. I want to invite you to come and to sit at the feast table of the king. To take a seat, to look at the table set, to take a seat. And there's some on this feed that are taking a seat way down the end of the table. And if that's you, I want you to look in the eyes of Jesus right now. Look all the way down the end. He has your attention. And he's looking at you. And he's saying to you, there is a seat beside me. Come, sit. Know the love that I want to give to you. Nothing separates. If you're there at the feast table, I want to invite you to just to ask Jesus to pull out a Bible. If we can be as, uh, as blatant as that, that Jesus, you just pull out a Bible. 
When Jesus opens the Bible, I want you to think of the very first book of the Bible that you think of. Allow it to be that. Ask him for a verse from that. If Jesus gives you a verse, I wonder if you could just place it in the chat so that all of us can be blessed by what Christ has spoken to you and shared out in fullness in this beautiful place of design and a beautiful place of purity. So, Jesus, would you reach out and touch that person? Allow your spirit and your life and your power just to flood in and through them. And as their spirit, life and power floods back in you, there's this divine interaction and transaction of the kingdom of God uh, from saviour to son or to daughter. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for the healing that's happening right now as we speak, healing to hearts, healing to minds, healing to bodies, healing to relationships. Father, may relationships be restored under the power of our voices here in this one room. We just want to say thank you for Kevin Lana as well. Just love them so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Matt. That we love amazing. you. Thank you. That was amazing. And I yeah. and not only was I deeply impacted, I was giggling because part of what I'm sharing at the end is the woman with the alabaster jar. <laughs> so I was high-fiving you through the screen. <laughs> But that was just not only what you shared, like the words that you shared, but as always, Matt, the tangible presence of God, the love of God and the impartation that just flows from you is just incredible. Like not only was I watching comments here of people being deeply touched, my phone was buzzing with text messages from people saying, oh, my gosh, the tenderness of Matt's heart, the way that the Lord uses him. So we love you. We just honour you. And, you know, you carry what you carry because, you know, you steward it well. And the Lord, you know, he, tr he trusts you. He really does. And, and that's evident in, mm. in what you release. So thank mm. you so, so much. No, thank you, guys. It's just it's such an honour to sit here with you. Yeah, we love you. Um, you want to yes. do it? Yeah. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my thing. <laughs> by, by my session, we'll have it all worked out. <laughs> Kevin's doing great. Well, I think what we'll, what we'll do next time is we'll ask people beforehand, how do we That's contact right. you? And I'll make the banners ready. Yeah. So, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a few ways you can. Haberfield Baptist Church, uh, which is haberfieldbaptist.org.au, uh, is where uh, you can access all YouTube um, we have a Facebook site, we have an Instagram site, which all of this sort of stuff goes up on and you'll be able to see it there. Uh, you can follow me on on Facebook as well. So you just look for Matt Beckenham on Facebook. You can follow me there um, and uh, you can message me there too if, you, if that's something you'd like to do. Thank awesome. you. Um, can I just ask, because I always seem to get it wrong, Haberfield, is it 1B? <laughs> yeah, just one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. that correct on sometimes um <laughs> all right okay it's going on to the banner now there we go please if i have misspelled it's this there. oh there we go oh, oh yeah. look at that is that right there it is that's cool that's beautiful there you go everyone <laughs> thank you <laughs> oh thank well, you so much matt yeah it's been mm. a real real joy to have you mm. so. uh, thank you again we love, love you we love yeah. you yeah, thanks. Sorry, go. Uh, no, I think Matt, you were going to say something. Yes, please. Oh, just gratitude for you two, and just the power of what you guys carry, and the and like the integrity and the purity. And it's like Larry was saying, um, 
sometimes when people are on the on the internet, you just don't know. But having hung out with you guys for fifteen or sixteen years, mm. yeah, just authentic and just love your heart. So. Uh, thank you. We love you guys too. Yeah, we love you. Give You're our awesome. love to Trish. Yeah. All right. Talk okay. soon. See ya. Bless you. Bye. All righty. So now I'm going to exit the screen. Mm, yes. Because this wonderful man here is going to share with you for a little while. That's right. So. And Lana's coming after me. So you have to get through me to oh, get. Shit. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, Let's, let's stop this. Let's go to, yeah, and there we are. Okay, now we can see awesome. comments again. Well, you guys are going to be really blessed because Kev's just amazing and mm -hmm. he really, he's a teacher. He gets deep revelation from the word and uh, and he's a friend of God and he loves really well. So get ready, friends, get ready because it's going to be amazing. So I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, g'day. Okay. We've got a baby sleeping downstairs, so I've been warned not to get too passionate. <laughs> get quietly passionate. That's a, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> All right. Welcome. Thank you. Um, now, what I want to preach on, what I want to speak on is Romans 8.1. Now, we all know this verse, for there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that, that is the way that... Now, I've done it. I've woken him up. There we go. At least, at least now I can go full send without any concern of waking him up any further. Okay, we're in. All right, so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the way that I've learned this verse almost off by heart. But I don't really give much thought to the rest of that verse who walk every day. So who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Um, now, the question I ask is why Why do we not think of that half of the verse? Now, I've got some thought, I've uh, got an example here of something. So I'm just going to share my screen. I don't know if this is going to work. This is a new software. Um, so let's do this. Um, uh, share screen. Let's see if this works. Um, application window. One second, sorry. I'm just going to. Okay. Sorry. Right. Wow. That's interesting. Okay, here we go. This is what I want to show you. This is a picture of the Grand Canyon. This is also a picture of the Grand Canyon. Same picture, but I'm just, just looking at a little bit of it. Okay. And look, I've got a picture of Niagara Falls. And you know what? It's it's quite pretty. I like the Niagara Falls. That is the same picture of Niagara Falls. What's the difference? The difference is we're not just looking at this little square of it. We're, we're trying to take the bigger picture in. All right. So let's uh, turn off. How do I stop screen? I'm back. Okay. So this is my thought on this. We take that verse, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we basically go to the, the chapter beforehand where Paul says, I try to do that which I don't, which I want to do and I can't do it. So therefore, you know, cursed is me, this body of flesh. So therefore, we look at those two verses in context and say, well, in that context, Paul's saying, I try to do good, 
I can't do good. It's impossible. So I have to rely on God's grace. But God, but Paul didn't write Romans 8 without writing Romans 5, 6, and 7 beforehand. In fact, he didn't write anything about the body of flesh until he spoke about the whole story going right back to Adam. And this is what I really want to try and get a hold of today because in context, it tells a very different picture, a different picture from what I was, uh, I was first taught when I started going to church. Um, this is a different picture. And I think that we really have to get the full perspective on what Paul is trying to say here. Now, I'm going to try and keep this as fluid as possible. There's a lot of ground to cover um, so I'm going to be reading between Romans 5 and Romans 8, if you do want to follow. I'm in the New King James Version, um, which can be a bit wordy sometimes, but I, I like it. I think it's got good depth. I'm going to skip across verses. I apologize for that, but there is just too many words to read, and I'm going to lose a lot of people. And also, Paul Paul's an amazing orator, but he repeats himself, and he, he approaches a subject, and he approaches the same subject from this angle, and the same subject from this angle. So I'm just going to keep it to the same one perspective. I'm just going to go from point to point to point. Hopefully, I welcome you to please read. Read a book of the Bible. Go find a book of the Bible. Romans is a very big book of the Bible. It's a very chunky book of the Bible. I try and do it in two sittings. But that said, um, read it and read it again the next day. 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 Until after a month, you've read the same book over and over again, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, amazing, amazing, amazing works. And at the end of that month, I tell you, you're going to know his argument from start to finish. And you're going to understand things at the end that he was laying a foundation for at the beginning. And it's going to really change the context of things. So this is what I, this is why I go through Romans 8 via Romans 5. Okay, so starting from Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For the law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed. And then there, sorry, when there was no law, then nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by one man's offence many died, much more by the grace of God and by the grace of uh, the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Okay, I, I think I read most of that right. But basically what he is, what Paul is saying here is sin is hereditary. We have an inherent problem in this world called sin. Sin is hereditary. Through the one man, Adam, that sin has been inherited. And until the law, sin was sin, but it wasn't really, no, there wasn't really the righteous standards to go against. So why was the law brought? Okay, so let's keep going to chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence may abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Going on to chapter 6, because Paul didn't write chapters, he just wrote 
lines and lines and lines. He didn't even add full stops or capital letters. It's just lines, okay? All the all the barriers that we put in, we put in, okay? So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. However, sorry, how shall we who died into sin live in it no longer? Um. So therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in the newness of life. Okay, I feel like I've missed something here. I'm sorry, let me catch my breath. Right. So we, we are all held to condemnation by the law. The law came to bring condemnation. Sin was always sin, but it wasn't until the law that there was condemnation for sin. But now there is condemnation for sin. This is what Paul is talking about later of the law of sin and death. You cannot, you cannot ex know what sin is without experiencing death unless you have grace to release you from that. So what are we to live now? Yes, okay, we've, we now live grace. We have accepted Christ. So we no longer have to live according to the nature of our sinful self. So how can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now remember this thought when we think about Paul's speech about being bound to sin. It doesn't make sense. There's more to that context here. So no, going on to 6 verse 6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So here Paul, he's contradicting himself if we are following the line of thought that we are bound to the body of sin, because here he is saying the body of sin is done away with. We are dead to sin. So we are dead to sin, but we have made life in Christ. So going on to 6 verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And uh, going to the, uh, verse 13, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of the righteousness of God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Think about this. When you were under law, sin had dominion over you. The law did not shift the dominion. The law just spotlighted the dominion. It was only through the law of grace that the dominion was shifted. And what where did the dominion shift to? The dominion was shifted to Christ and no longer to sin. So going on to uh, 6 verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're, uh, sorry, shall we sin because we are not under a law but under grace? Certainly not. So even though we're no longer under law, there is no license to sin. We need to live in purity. So 6 verse 17, but God be thanked that through that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you are now slaves to righteousness. 
going on to verse 20. So, uh, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. So, knowing the truth of sin, knowing the law, was um, had no bearing on the price of sin. Romans 6.21, what fruit did you have in these things? For the end of these things is death. Whether you know the law, whether you don't know the law, if you're not in grace, you're in death. Okay, There is a price to pay for sin, and that price is death. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. And we were when we were slaves to sin, we were free of righteousness. We were free of the bindings to righteousness that we have. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit came to, to condemn the world of sin, but came to condemn the followers to righteousness. We are tied. We are bound to righteousness. So how can we then justify sin? Oh, it's just, uh, it's just gossip by the water cooler. I think it's very interesting that gossip by the water cooler has practically been eliminated by social distancing. I kind of chuckled at that. We, you know, there is no justifiable sin. And I'm not, I'm, look, we all know what sin is. I mean, look, sexual immorality, um, all that stuff, right down to, you know, Hey, I've got something for you to pray about. Um, did you hear that? Uh, you know, old man Smithers down the road. He, he's cheated on his wife. That's okay. Is that? Are you praying about it? Are you gossiping about him? I, uh, make sure your heart is pure. Okay, so going on to Romans seven uh, into chapter four. Therefore, my brethren, you become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you are married to another, to him that was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Okay, so when we were married to Christ, when we accepted Christ, we became his bride. We are united to Christ through a married relationship. So therefore, when Christ died, what died with Christ was our body, was our flesh. We are then dead to the law because we are dead to, you know, we are dead to the flesh. And what rose in Christ, of course, was the new creation that we are, we are raised to grace. So going on to verse 7, what should I say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. The law didn't come to bring sin upon people. The law came to reveal sin upon people. And that was universal. See, we know the concept of, of eras because i mean even let's look at uh look at the timeline of christ before christ we didn't know no grace before christ we didn't know what you know we didn't know the truth of the love of god we didn't know forgiveness before christ we only knew the law before the law 
we only knew that there was a God. Every new era comes with new revelation. And that new revelation comes with a new responsibility. Before, before the law, the responsibility was to know God, have faith in God. I mean, remember, faith, Abraham's faith it was attributed to righteousness. But then came the law. And no longer faith alone could be attributed to righteousness because you now know the full picture of what righteousness was, that there was an unreachable standard in our own flesh. And then came Christ and there came a new layer of revelation because now we can, it's now certainly clear that we in our fleshly selves cannot be attributed to righteousness unless we have clothed ourselves in the righteousness of Christ that we have parted with him, that we've become married with him, and that in his death we have put to death our righteous, unrighteous self, sorry, and in his resurrection we have been raised in his righteous self. When Paul speaks here from Romans 7.13, he's speaking about his own life in the law. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it may appear sin, was producing death in me through that which is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. The, the law highlights sin. For we, now, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He, before the law, he was carnal. He could not... Uh, he was sold under sin. The law was con the con condemning voice in his life. That I mean, the soul, what is the price of sin? How could he be sold under sin? The price of sin is death. So if he's sold under sin, then he is sold to death. Satan has purchased him through sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice, and that which I hate, I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in, with, in me. For I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I find then in a law that evil is present in me, the one that wills to do good. So Paul finds the law, and the law highlights his sinful self. The law highlights his inherent sin. For I delight in the law of God, but according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Now, here we go. And this, I believe, is where Romans 8 should be. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the, uh, to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man I am, who will deliver me 
from this body of death. Sorry, I recant that. That is definitely still part of that thought from chapter 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul is talking about the, con the condemnation of law, his debt to sin that he could not pay. He finishes this thought, though, in chapter 8. Therefore, there is no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of the sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law may not be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. It is only through the power of the Spirit that we can set ourselves apart from the law of sin and death. So when I look at Romans 8.1, therefore, no, therefore there is now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. That's only half of the picture because it's the rest of the story here. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. When we consider someone that is in Christ Jesus, do we consider them as someone that does not walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? When we consider our own lives as something that follows the, the love and the you know inclusion that of being in Christ Jesus, do we consider in our own lives one who has been walking day by day in the spirit of the Lord that has cast aside the flesh? that is circumcised to the flesh, but has been made alive in Jesus Christ. And this is, the, this is the full picture. We have allowed this verse to become a just a, just a petty, pithy verse. It's, it's not meant to be that. It's the, the law of sin and death is only released by walking in the law of grace, of life. For the law of the spirit of life. We cannot, you can either walk in the spirit of life or you can walk in the law and knowing that you're doing something wrong and not in having the power to overcome that. So now I, I, I'm aware that I've only got five minutes left. I'm about to, uh, Lana's walking past giving me. <laughs> I know. Um, I want to say this, though. There is a consequence. There, there are teachers, and I don't want to speak against them personally, but I want to share a, a better, what I think is a better revelation. There are teachers that say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that once we are in Christ, that we are no longer held to any, any requirements that we are automatically righteous. There is a teaching that comes around in the church. And there's truth in that. When we are walking in Christ, we no longer, we have, we have put on the righteousness of Christ. But there still is a requirement of us to walk in righteousness. 
And there still is a requirement of us to, to face a judgment. Now, when I say this, I'm going to give an example. Let's look at how Jesus speaks to his church in Revelations. Now, Revelation gives us seven examples of seven churches. Each one's going through a different circumstance. But we can't say Jesus doesn't speak to his church in any particular way without looking at how Jesus speaks to his church individually and even how he deals with his churches. Now, first and foremost, this first... Now, I'll, I'll, there's... There's different versions, different scopes of eschatology that look at the book of Revelation in different ways. There's the preterist view, which believes that it's completely done, that it was all done in you know the, in the time that it was written, and it's not active today. There's the futurist view, which says it wasn't really done back then, but it's all going to happen in the future, or we're walking in it now. I stand on the fences. I'm I'm a semi semi preterist. And I say this because if you read Revelation in the eyes of someone that was reading it in the first and second century, it would have made a complete sense to them. Every single every single element would have made sense to them that it is speaking of their circumstance under the captivity of Rome and um, under the oppression of the enemy as they walked out. And you know, we we see the book of Revelation, and it makes complete sense to what they were walking through then. But you look at the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was written in a way that made complete sense to what they were walking through then and what they're about to walk through. But we still see the book of Isaiah making itself uh, real today. We see, we see the prof prophetic work of God. The voice of God is prophetic. It's spoken outside of time and space. So therefore it resounds time and time and time and time again. The book of Revelation is unfolding as we speak. How can you not look outside your door and think we're not in biblical times right now? My goodness. Anyway, get back to it. Um, so of the seven churches, so let's go the now. I'm gonna be quick because I know Lana has to come on. <laughs> so um let's let's go through these. The church of Sardis. I know your works, and you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen, strengthen your things, uh, sorry, and strengthen to the things which remain that are ready to die, for I've not found your works to be perfect before God. He, going to the uh, verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. He, he doesn't have high hopes for the church of Sardis. Now, what happens to the church of Sardis? The city of Sardis is dead. It's destroyed. There is no city of Sardis to this day. Let's go on to the faithful church, um, to the church of Philadelphia. Hang on, I'll skip some churches here. I'll, I'll go back. I'm, so we'll, we'll do Philadelphia and Laodicea, and then we'll skip back. So the, to the church of Philadelphia. Um. He who is holy, who is true, has the king of David, who opens door and shuts doors that no one can open or shut. I know your works. See, I have seen before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength. But you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. He sees their weakness, but he sees their heart. They're pure. They love well. Yeah. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Do you know what? The city of Philadelphia still stands. It's now called Alicia. 
Okay, the lukewarm church, Laodicea. We all know the story of. Uh, I know your works. I wish you're either cold or hot, but you're neither. So I'm going to spit you out. Laodicea is destroyed. It lays in ruins. Okay, so let's skip back. I'm sorry to chapter two, Revelations two to Ephesus. Okay, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear the and you cannot bear those things that are evil. But you have uh, you have tested those that say their apostles are not and found them to be liars. Okay. But nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, uh, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand. Ephesus is gone. They didn't repent. To the angel of the church of Smyrtha, these things, uh, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works. Um, your tribulation and poverty. I know the blasphemies of those who call themselves Jews, but they're not. Uh, just skipping on. He who has an ear, let me then hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who whoever comes shall not be hurt by the second death. The persecuted church in Smyrna survived. It's now called Izmir. Do not, so I'll go back to verse uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things in which you are to suffer, for the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, but you may be tested. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. They were faithful. He preserved them. To Pergamos, the, um, I know your works, and that is where, where you dwell, is where Satan's throne is. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to, um, who taught Balak to be a stumbling block to the children of Israel, and, and to sacrifice to idols, to commit sexual immorality. You hold to the doctrine of Nicolaitans, the things I hate. Nicolaitans basically said that um, it was only the elite that could minister, that the, the that us normal people that we we have no place to minister. Repent, or else I'll come quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Pergamos died. There is no Pergamos anymore. To the corrupt church, the church of Thyatira. Um, I know your works, your love, your service and patience. Um, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. They're growing. They're growing. Nevertheless, I have these things against you because you've allowed that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to, uh, servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idol. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her to great tribulation unless they repent. He sees their works. The later works are better than their former works. They started off good and they keep on getting better and better and better. So God's going to come in and intervene in that church. God's going to come in and throw out that Jezebel. The the city of Thyatira now stands as Akazia. So what my point is, of the seven churches, the churches that were doing well, those cities still stand. The, city, the churches that had corruption that weren't willing to repent, those cities are all died, dead. The cities that weren't doing well, but they were walking towards repentance, those cities all stand. There is a righteous standard. There is a righteous standard. We will stand and we will be judged according to our works, according to the works of our heart. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk every day according to the Spirit of the Lord, not by the flesh. There's a my, my favorite verse is Galatians. Oh, now I can't remember. It's Galatians four five. Don't be deceived. You know what you sow into, you will reap. If you reap into, if you sow into the flesh, you will reap destruction and death. If you sow into the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. Don't think that we can walk through this life, call ourselves Christians. Oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. It's not like that. You're known by your works. You're known by your fruit. I've got fruit that I need to, uh, you know, trim off. I, I know a few things that are, you know, that I'm, that I need to deal with. We all do, but walk through it. Don't be satisfied with it, and don't forgive yourself for it, and and not deal with these things. I'm going to pass over to Lana because I'm I'm about ready to finish up. I'm I do want to apologise for what I felt was stumbling over my words so much. I uh, I like this. I love I love the New King James version. I think it's a really rich version of the Bible, but I do find it hard to read from. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe find something a little bit uh, that flows a little bit easier next time. But I do hope that you really got what I was trying to say, that we need to really embrace the Holy Spirit. We need to be faithful to God. Faithfulness to God is walking with him daily by inviting him, inviting him into our lives, into our walks daily. Um, you know what? This season has been an amazing season for revelation. And Lana, Lana um, brought a word uh, just before Pentecost about the season of Pentecost being a time of revelation and encounter. And you know what? It's been that for me. And some people, I've I've seen some amazing testimonies of people who've walked in amazing encounters. It's like the veil is super thin right now. My, for me, it's been different. Each day I go to him and he gives me something small. And as I journal that, as I, as I meditate on it, he then gives me something else. And each one is another brick in this massive revelation, this massive mosaic that he's painting. But if I don't write it down, he doesn't give me something new until I sit back and write down what he's given me. Be faithful. Be faithful to the things that he's given you, and he'll build on it. He'll build on it until, until he will show you, uh, he'll show you things that you will never forget. He will, he will show you things that will scar you for life, scar you for his kingdom and his glory. They continue to be faithful to him because he is so faithful. He's so full of love. Okay, Lana, come on in. All right. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hang on. Have I got the microphone side? There's the microphone. Okay. All right. Well, then I don't need this. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, you know what? This is very true. Um, yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So I guess for Lana and myself, you know how to contact us on our website, Um, you know, Actually, I'm going to say this. If you do want to contact Lana and myself, jump on our website. I am going to put a banner up because, you know, it seems seems a good opportunity to do that. On Facebook, Lana Water.
No, they're both Larnivores. Oh, they? Yeah. Okay. So, guys, any page that says Larnivores and Ministries that has 8,000 or 9,000 people and they contact you asking you for money and to yep. fast and pray and sow into a prophetic word, please do not engage with them. <laughs> that is not me. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing our best to get these shut down. Yeah, so, it's, been, it's been a long battle. Anyway, but, yeah. Okay, so that that is how you – so on our website, jump on the contact page say hi um you know shoot us a message um we'll you know one of us will get to we've also got an assistant who can help with that too please jump on say hi yeah okay all right oh hang on here we go all righty all right folks well i'm not going to talk for too long um i am just going to share i'm gonna okay. kevin's gonna go have lunch <laughs> um i'm just gonna share with you um I guess a wrap up of um, of this time together of what I really believe um, the Lord has spoken to me um, regarding purity. My heart for this whole time today was really to create a space where the Spirit of God can move and He can minister in such a way to position uh, us as His people to walk in purity. I, for most of my life, um, especially walking with the Lord, have I have had such a passion for purity. Um, I am very uh, black and white. <laughs> I am very strong on justice. I have very much um, a heart that is just wanting to see um, pure stewardship and you know, the purity of heart. I'm all about the why. So, you know, why am I doing something? You know, why are we posting that prophetic word? Why are we doing that video? And really living in a place to, I guess my heart is really to live in a place of tenderness before the Lord. Um, you know, any of you that may have uh, been following uh, Lana Vorza Ministries uh, for any length of time, any video that you will hear me sit down and begin to minister, you will hear me undoubtedly share about the privilege that it is to hear his voice and to be in relationship with Jesus. And folks, that is the bottom line. You know, that is the bottom line. How do we walk in purity? How do we, um, you know, steward the gifting, the calling, the anointing, the move of God, in a place of purity. How do we do that? We do that by being a friend of God, where we ask ourselves a question, what is my greatest priority? I think that is a really important question. What is my greatest priority? And my greatest priority, as much as I love to sit here and to release the word of the Lord and to partner with him to, to see um, his spirit move and the kingdom extended and people's lives healed and saved and delivered, like, wow, what a joy. I, I still live in a place of being completely undone by the privilege that it is to partner with him. But as much as I love this space and I love you guys and I love connecting with you, my priority in life is to know Jesus. My priority in life is to be in the secret place, connecting with the heart of my beloved 
and to minister to him first and foremost. That is my priority. That is my joy. And from that place, that that place of life, that place of deep intimacy that never changes, right? It, it doesn't. It's not like to, today the Lord wants to connect with me and speak to me and tomorrow he doesn't. No. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. Every day I am invited by the Lord into a place of relationship, encounter, intimacy. What a joy, what a joy that you and I are invited into a place to know him. And it didn't come cheap. Jesus Christ gave his life. He gave everything for you and I, not only so we can be restored to God and, and we can be in this place of, of glorious inheritance of eternal life and salvation, but you and I have been invited into the place of daily relationship with Jesus that I can get up in the morning and I can grab my coffee and nobody else is around, no one's listening, no one's watching me and I'm sitting in my room on my face or sipping my coffee and I am connecting with the one. I want you to hear this. I am connecting with the one who created the heavens and the earth. I am connecting with the one who gave his life and, and I am connecting with the father who gave his one and only son that, so that I not only could live in a place of eternity, right, but that I could be sitting in my prayer room in here right now with a coffee or whatever it is, worship music, and I can sit and I can say, Lord, I want to hear your voice today. God, I want to know what's on your heart. Lord, invite that, like, invite me into the deepest place of your heart because can I be really honest with you? I honestly believe that the Lord is looking for those that he can trust the secrets of his heart with. I truly believe that the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth looking for the ones that truly love him He's looking for the ones that aren't sitting in a place with him, you know, and saying, God, give me the revelation. What's the hot word off the press today? I want the revelation so I can go and parade that revelation everywhere. I believe that there is a purity that God is, is um, inviting us into in the church. It does, it's not just for um it's not just for the prophetic movement. It's not just for prophets. It's for every person in the body of Christ. It is a place right now where the Lord is calling us deeper into his heart and he's saying, hey, you're in a new era right now and I am about to do things that are beyond your wildest dreams and expectations. The demonstration of my power is going to be unprecedented, signs, wonders and miracles. But I am looking for those that I can trust with a move of my spirit. I'm looking for those that I can trust with the secrets of my heart. Don't you want to be somebody that comes into your prayer room or your, your living room in the morning or the evening, whenever it is that you spend time with the Lord, and to know that you're in that intimate place with him where his eyes fall upon you and he says, this is my friend. This is, a, this is somebody that I can trust 
my heart with and my revelation with. And this isn't something that the Lord looks at the church and goes, well, you know what? The invitation's only available to some. No, no, no. The invitation is available to all. But I believe that because of the weightiness of the era that we are in and what God is doing, he is aligning and bringing and aligning a plumb line. He is bringing a correction. He is bringing um, a cleansing. He said to me the other day, Lana, I am um, I'm steam cleaning the church. What a picture, steam cleaning, right? It's a deep clean. And everything that the Lord does, whether he corrects or he, he cleanses and he, when he purifies, when a plumb line is set, it's all out of his love because he wants you and I to walk with him in all that he has for us and to see his kingdom extended in the earth. And this is an hour, I believe, um, unlike any other, where I feel the weightiness of the message of purity on a, on a level that I haven't before. The Lord is looking for those who will steward his heart and will steward his voice with purity. And he knows, doesn't he? He knows our heart, God sees. But he doesn't look down in condemnation. He looks down in love. And when his fire comes upon wrong motives and his fire comes upon pride, his, his fire comes upon arrogance or self-promotion or whatever it may be, the Lord does that because he wants pure vessels. He wants those that are not living in a place of using, can I say this, not using gifting and not using revelation in order to gain a platform and to gain more followers and to gain a greater reach. If I had time, I would sit here and I would tell you my, my story, um, but I don't have the time. But I will say this, people come to me all the time and they say to me, Lana, how did you build your ministry? How did, how did it happen? And do you know what the honest truth is? He built it because I had a breaking experience many years ago where I thought I was going to be Joyce Meyer. I thought I was going to be, you know, like the person that was out there with like, you know, I was going to be famous and it was just out of this place of brokenness and I didn't know my identity. And so there was all this stuff going on my heart, on in my heart. And the Lord took me to another nation and he allowed a ministry tour of how I thought it was going to look uh, be completely, you know, pulled out from underneath me. And I sat on the floor of a, a, a cold room and I, said, and I said, Lord, what are you doing? And he said to me, Lana, who are you without the ministry? Who are you if you're not a prophet? And, and that was like over, what? let me think, it was over 20 years ago now, maybe. Um, and it broke me to the core. I was so broken. I was like, God, what are you doing? You promised me the nations. You said that I was going to be a world changer. And I was, let me be honest, I was angry. I'm like, God, this isn't fair. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Lana, in this moment right now, I am giving you the greatest gift. I am giving you the greatest gift because if I allow you to continue to go as you're going, you will not steward the move of my spirit in purity and integrity 
And I'm calling you into a place right now to embrace the fire. And that was one of the most painful yet beautiful places of my life. In a way, I I had to die to my dreams. I had to die to my own timing. I had to die to my own way. And I had to come to a place where I had to answer a question, who am I if Lana's never a prophet to the nations? Who am I if I have, like, I I don't become Joyce Meyer? Who am I? And that place became the place of the greatest encounter with the heart of God for me because it became the place where I didn't live for a name, I didn't live for a platform, I didn't live for the accolade of man, I didn't live for the praise of man. I came to a place where it became all about Jesus. And from that place, then God opened doors like it, let me be honest with you, like from the moment God spoke to me that I'm going to um, anoint you to be a prophet to the nations, it was like over like 16, 17, 18, 19 years. I'd have to get my journal. But it was a long time before the Lord released me. There was a long process of purifying, preparation. You just have to look at, you know, um, you know even the story of Joseph in Scripture. Like God prepares because he cares about things like integrity. He cares about character. He cares about humility. He, he cares about um, how we steward the move on the platform and how we we partner with him and our heart motives, but he also cares about what goes on behind closed doors and who we are when we're not on the platform. The Lord is looking for people who are walking in a place of ministering to his heart and truly love Jesus. And from that place, the overflow happens and we partner with him, but we're not living in a place where we are needing to get validation or we're needing to get our name out there, or we need it to to look a certain way, or it needs to be in our timing. It needs to be on my agenda. It has to look the way I think it needs to look. You've been hearing me herald this message for a long time. We need to be people that know the ways of God. We need to know his heart, and we need to embrace the move of the Spirit of God in this new era, no matter what it looks like. If it offends my mind, if it's different to what I expect, that's okay because I'm not in it for my own comfort. I'm not in it for my name. I am in it for him. I am here to make the name of Jesus famous in the earth. I am here to see the Spirit of God move through my life right, to see his kingdom extended. I don't want to touch his glory. I want my life, my greatest testimony to be, I didn't see Lana Vorza. When I met Lana, I saw Jesus. I encountered Jesus. I'm not here to to make a name. And I really believe right now that that purifying fire is has begun in the church and it is going to increase. The purifying fire of the Lord is going to increase. We are going to see um, a reformation. We are going to see things shaken up more than they have been uh, in the church. We're going to see things aligned like we've never seen them before. The Lord is going to uncover things in this era. He's going to expose things, but he's not uncovering and exposing places of mixture or deliberate sin or different things to bring condemnation. He's exposing so that he can heal and deliver, but also so there can be a solution, a redemptive solution that can come forth because God is a God of redemption. He's not a God of condemnation. So yes, we are in an an hour of like intense 
purifying and aligning. It is the hour uh, for the plumb line. And the Lord's really looking for those who are truly in alignment with what he's doing and what he's saying and are truly like, like let's even talk leadership, like the sons of Zadok. They were the ones that were invited into a place to minister to the Lord himself. And what does the Bible say? It says that their garments were not soiled. There was no wool on their garments. There was no mixture. They were in the place of ministering to the Lord himself. Wow, what an incredible, incredible honour. So God is going to purify in greater ways um, his church and leadership and, and it's all to bring us into greater alignment for the greatest move of the Spirit of God that we have ever seen. I honestly believe that we are heading into that time like never before. So I want to um, just share two things with you and um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to wrap up. I was going to share um, in a lot of detail uh, with you regarding the woman with the alabaster jar in in Luke seven, but I, I really feel like a lot of the message I was carrying for that Matt has released so powerfully, so beautifully. Um, the only thing I would add to um, what I was going to say about this story in Luke seven um, is that this woman with the alabaster jar. What was her greatest priority? What was her desire? What drove her in that moment to run into a room where she would have been opposed? It wasn't a place where she would have been embraced. It was her desire for Jesus. It was her love for Jesus. And she poured out all that she had, the most expensive thing that she had on his feet to worship him and to minister to him. What a beautiful and powerful story. And that is, is really what I believe God is heralding right now, that if you're asking the question, how do I position myself? For me, it's, it's a simple answer. Go after Jesus. Do whatever you have to do to position yourself to encounter him and leave the rest to him. You know, don't worry about, oh, my goodness, which door's going to open and when's it going to open and how's it going to open. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things will be added to you. That's my testimony. I sat at his feet. He opened doors. I didn't go bashing, knocking on doors and saying, hey, 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 I want to make something of myself after I was broken and, uh, and brought down to a place of dying to self. I said to the Lord, I will do anything for you. I want to serve you all of my days, but I, ha I do have one, one condition, Lord, and I hope that it's a holy one. <laughs> and it was. He, I said to him, Lord, whatever you do in my life, whatever ministry, whatever it looks like, it has to have your fingerprints on it. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back at my life and say, look what I built with my own hands. Are we called to build? Absolutely. But we're called to build from a place of purity and that purity comes from surrender and yieldedness. So God, I will build with you, but I want it to be your handprints that are building and I'm building following your hands. I don't want to look back and see my hands of striving or you know, self-promotion or anything like that. I don't want to see those fingerprints. God, you have to open all the doors. You have to set this up because I want all of the glory to go to you. And that has that's my testimony.
He's opened the doors. He's done this. All of this, all of this is him. All of this is him. I, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with marketing and and promote like, um, you know, using marketing strategies and different things. But for me personally, the Lord has said to me, I will build this. I will build it. So I've never clicked, you know, boost post or anything on Facebook. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That is just a conviction that the Lord spoke to me about. And he and that is just even a simple um way that the Lord has answered my prayer, you know, in the sense of God, I want it to be an astonishing demonstration of your power and your hands. I'm not saying God doesn't use the other stuff, but my journey, this is my journey. It has been the hand of the Lord that is, has done this. And I want it to remain like that forever. Um, so I want to just um, share this with you and I'm going to close. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says that the pure in heart shall see God. And I remember I was in a meeting in Dallas, Texas, a number of years ago now. And, uh, and a friend of ours, Jason Hooper, was ministering and, uh, and he was up the front and he was talking about Matthew 5, 8. And he said these words along the lines of these words. He said, I was looking through different commentaries on this scripture. And he said, and I came across one that really impacted me. He said, I read the words, the pure in heart shall see God. The pure in heart are those that look for him everywhere. Isn't that a beautiful, like, just think about that for a sec. They're those that look for him everywhere. They're not looking you know, with a gender, okay, God, you, you have to move over here or you have to move over here. No, no, no. They're living with childlike faith, looking for him everywhere. God, where are you? What are you doing? I'm so hungry. Lord, show me. Where are you? They're looking in awe and wonder because their focus is Jesus. They're looking for him. They're looking for him. They're not looking for anything else but him. And I know these are basic things where you could be, you know, listening and go, yeah, I know, I know this, I know this. But my heralding passion and trumpet call right now is let us be tender-hearted and not graduate from a place of childlike faith and awe and wonder. Let us not be in a place even where we grab this, we grab the word of God and we go, oh, yeah, God just said, um, yep, John 3.16. Yeah, I've read that a 100 times. I know what that says. I'm just going to put it down. Can we not be in that place? Can we be in a place where every time we pick this up, right? And I just dropped my Bible. <laughs> every time we pick this up, we pick it up with hunger and with eyes that say, God, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you here. I've read this passage a hundred times, but I'm looking for you. What is the new revelation, the deeper revelation that you're going to give me out of a scripture I've read a thousand times? God, I'm coming hungry. I'm approaching you hungry. I am approaching you in a place of childlike wonder where I recognize God, that I don't know it all. I haven't got it it all worked out and some days I feel like I'm getting revelation and I'm in a washing machine spinning because I don't understand yet but I am coming in a place of humility and a place of childlike faith and I'm saying God I'm coming to the word not to receive a word so I or a revelation so I can parade it out of the wrong heart
but I'm coming to the word of God for one thing alone and that is to see you and encounter you. God, I want to know you. God, I want to be your friend. God, I want to be found as one that you can trust your heart with and you can trust the deep mysteries and the secrets. I want to be found as one of those people. Holy Spirit, come and do whatever you need to do in my life to create that heart in me. That is a prayer that we can pray every day. God, tenderize my heart. Lord, if there's any areas of my heart where there is things that are out of alignment, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come with your fire and to burn it and correct it. Let us be people that love the correction of God because he corrects as a good father. He corrects, he brings things up so he can bring them out. So let us be people that are in that place of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, the prayer of David, Lord, examine my heart. Let, like, let us be those people. Because truly, I believe, like my beautiful friend Nat said at the start of this um, this little or long Facebook Live today, that the true ecclesia is arising in this hour. The remnant is rising. Those that, you know, he's, he's forging and forming the true ecclesia and he's looking for those who love him. He's looking for those who love him. So before I, I pray for you, I want to I want to leave you with this. It's been really like bugging me in a good way, um, and uh, and I really I feel like it, it is the spirit of the Lord. And so I'm going to say it twice. <laughs> don't trade the purity. Don't trade purity for a platform. Don't trade purity for a platform. Don't compromise your convictions. Don't compromise the word of the Lord in your life. Don't compromise the things, the way that God has showed you to steward what he's given you, even for a door that may sparkle like gold. If it's not the Lord, don't do it. Follow the Lord. Follow the Spirit of God where he's leading. But don't trade purity for a platform. I really feel that right now. It's really important. Part of walking in purity is walking in obedience. It is walking in obedience to the word of the Lord in your life and not giving uh, when the, where the Lord has said no, but you give man your yes. Don't, don't be in that place. Let me encourage you that when the Lord says no to something, there is always a greater yes coming. And I believe that there is a, there's a testing of the heart that is happening right now and it will continue where we will have to, as the people of God, make a choice day after day after day after day. Am I going to live in purity? Am I going to stick to the word of the Lord in my life? Am I going to stick to the ways of God? Or am I going to bow to good opportunities? Or even am I going to bow to the fear of man? This is an hour where we have to stand and we have to be people that stand in boldness and at some point it will look like you're standing against the grain. Oh, but this is what everybody else is doing. Okay, wonderful. But if that's not the word of the Lord for your life, don't move. Don't move. Stay in the word of the Lord for your life. Stay in your season. Stay in your lane. Don't fight against the season that God has you in because it's really important in the stewardship of what God is, is doing and going to do that we remain in, in the place of purity 
And one of those places, yes, is ministering to the Lord. One of those places is seeking his heart alone. But also one of those places is remaining in his word in obedience. Set up your life, right? Let the boundary lines of your life be his word and what he is speaking, the the Logos word of God and the Rhema word. Set up your life in that way and stay in the place of obedience because where you walk and move in obedience, that's where favour falls. Favour will fall upon the obedient in this hour. You'll see it in a way you've never seen it before. And some of those acts of obedience will offend the minds of the religious and offend how things have been done. But God, the hand of God, will be so heavy in favour upon those ones that are obeying his word and the move of his spirit that's going to take place through the obedient ones is going to be unprecedented, absolutely unprecedented. This is the hour where God is calling us to stand with him in what he's doing and any area where we have stood with in the fear of man or people pleasing or anything like that, God is really dealing with that stuff because this world needs a people that are fearless and a people that are living in that place of just awe and wonder of who he is because that's where the place of, of the, um, the move of his spirit, the glory is going to be revealed. He's looking for pure vessels. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for what you what you are doing. Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you have done on this broadcast. God, we lift it to you. Lord, we lift it to you as an offering. Lord, that it has, we, we pray that it has brought uh, glory to your name. Lord, that it is a sweet smelling aroma to you. God, I thank you for every person that has joined us live today and every person that will be watching on the replay. Lord, I pray that you will continue to take them deeper on the journey of what it looks like, God, to be positioned in purity for this new era. Lord, I pray that the fire of your spirit, the fire of your presence, the fire of your love would so surround them stronger than ever, Lord God. Lord, that they would embrace your fire in this hour. Lord, that you would increase hunger in their hearts, Lord, to know you. Lord, I pray for anybody that's dealing with condemnation, Lord. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would deliver them from that condemnation, Lord, because we know that your word says that there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, because of you, Lord God, you have made the way for us to be friends with you, to know you, Lord, and to have eternal life. But Lord, I pray that shame would just be removed off people right now in the name of Jesus. And those that are watching that have felt like, God, I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm failing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them a vision, a dream, an encounter, Lord God, where you will show them, Lord, who they are in you. Lord, that you will just lift that heavy weight off of their shoulders, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for every person, Lord, that you would just continue to light the fire within them, God, of the, the awakening to the privilege that it is, God, to know you, to hear your heart and to know your voice. God, I pray that every one of us, Lord, would burn with a passion to know you, Jesus, to hear your voice and make you known. But we would also burn with a passion and a message that says, let me show you out of my life what it looks like to steward um, the heart of 
of the Lord and the word of the Lord with purity. And it's not said from a place of pride, but it's said from a place of humility and love to help others and lift others up and bring others into that place, Lord, that you're calling them into. Father, I thank you for what you have done. Lord, I thank you for this new era, Lord. And today we all together, we say yes to you again. Yes to your way. Yes to your fire. Yes to your timing. God, let us uh, continue to understand your ways in greater uh, depth than we have before. Lord, we humble ourselves with childlike faith and we come to you again and we say, God, teach us your ways. Show us your ways, God. May we be people that are living in the fear of the Lord, the awe and wonder of God, and from that place we walk in the counsel and the wisdom of God most high. Lord, thank you for that privilege. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. This is all for you. It is all for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us. What a joy it has been to have you join us today. A huge thank you. I know that um, uh, quite a few of our speakers have had to go because it's it's been quite a long broadcast. Uh, but to Matt Beckenham, Larry Sparks, Anthony Medina, uh, Gary Beaton, Natalie Fuller, Kevin, uh, a huge thank you from me. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you for your time. Thank you for just pouring out the revelation that the Lord has given you. We love you and we so appreciate you. And I just so thank Thankful to do life with each one of you. And to those of you watching, we love you. And our heart is that you were blessed today, that you will um, even keep this broadcast as a, a go-to, to, to go back to and just receive more uh, revelation of what God um, released through this time. I know it, it has been very powerful, but I, I really feel like it will be a ripple effect uh, in many of your lives. So we bless you guys. We love you and uh, we look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Okay, bye for now. Hi there, I'm Kevin Vorza. Lana and I hope this message encouraged you today and invite you to come and check out our website, lanavorza.com. There you can see Lana's posts, videos and even resources that we hope will bless you in your walk with God. All of Lana's Coffee with Jesus episodes are available on our YouTube channel if you want to see them there. Have a blessed day. I hope to speak to you again soon.